Good morning. My name is Roy Ramsey, and I'm one of the elders here at Clear Creek. We are in the middle of a very important lesson series for this body of Christ, the Clear Creek Church of Christ. These lessons continue to be an attempt to acquaint you all with the concept of both and worship and answer questions concerning which, uh, why the eldership has decided to make this change at this time. We as your leadership want to reaffirm our unanimous position behind this change and encourage everyone to stay the course and really study for yourselves and pray about the subject. We are prayerful that we all can find it in our hearts to embrace this change for the long-term good of the kingdom of God. We are also prayerful that we can afford all of our members the blessing of glorifying God with their God-given talents, while also respecting the feelings and preferences of those who love acapella worship. I love acapella worship, always have, but I know that the only acceptable worship really comes from a contrite and thankful heart, with, with or without instruments. I was not raised in the Church of Christ, but I have been a member for over 50 years. All those years I have attended a traditional Church of Christ. One thing I have committed to is not standing on tradition without scriptural backing to do so. My commitment to remove any hindrance for people coming to Christ is who I am. And I pray that we all feel the same way because I firmly believe that God would not be pleased if we held onto any tradition needlessly. Thank you for your attention. We love you all. Well, as Roy just mentioned, this series is a series looking at becoming what is called a both-and church. In other words, continuing... I can't see you guys. Can, can we turn those lights up? Thank you. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a series about becoming a both-and church where we will continue to embrace excellent a cappella worship while also introducing and embracing God-honoring, thoughtful, very tasteful instrumental worship as well on Sunday mornings. A little bit of backstory if you've missed any of the series. In 2012, the elders went through a protracted study of Scripture, not just of a few passages, but from Genesis to Revelation. And the conclusion of that lengthy study was their belief that Scripture teaches God allows and in some cases in the Old Testament, for instance, commands it. Now, we do not believe it is a command. It is not something we must do. But the elders believed from the conclusion of their study that the Lord allows and is honored with instrumental praise, just as He is with a cappella praise or just with singing. But at the time, they did not believe it was the most prudent thing to make that transition to both and. Now, a decade later, the elders have gone through it once again, and because of the changing dynamic of our church, as well as our city, they believe that it is the wise and necessary thing to do as a church. And so, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a lot of whys and wherefores. In fact, here's been our schedule over the past few weeks. Week one, two weeks ago, we said, why become a both-hand church? And if you've not listened to it, and this is true of any of the teaching, I'm going to ask you to personally go listen. Don't simply listen to someone else who's listened, although that's helpful. Listen for yourself. What we said was basically two main reasons. Number one, 
The reason both and is to honor and care for the entire body, including those who prefer instrumental praise, just as there's a group that prefer a cappella praise. And second, to remove any unnecessary barriers to helping share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who otherwise might feel a little off-put or uncomfortable visiting because of no instrumentation. Now, talk more about that. Watch the videos as well, and our elders would love to talk with you more if you have questions. The second one was last week. Does the Bible say it's okay? Because as a church that values the Scriptures, it being our final authority, we must always submit to what Scripture says. Josh's opinion does not count. No one else's opinion counts. Scripture does. And so we looked from old to new last week, and the uniform understanding as we see it is that, yes, the Scriptures allow instrumental praise as an authorized and uh, uh, right way to worship if chosen. Now, I do need to make one quick correction from last Sunday. Last week, I underlined a a wrong verse. In Ephesians 5, 19, go ahead and put this up real fast. I had underlined the word psalms for the Greek word solo. Actually, psalms is the Greek word psalmo. The solo word is make music. You can put that next slide up. So, while it did not change the point of of that piece... I strive to be accurate, and I think we all should, so I wanted to clarify that at the top of this teaching. Now, with that said, today we're going to look at, well, what will it look like? You know, we've talked about it. What can we expect? So we're going to answer four questions in just a moment. But before I do that, I need to address, I think, a bigger issue. See, there is, in the American church, a growing danger with consistent corporate Sunday worship. Now, I know as soon as I say that, you say, what? What? Danger? What does that mean? I believe there is a danger that can happen in the rote, every Sunday we just do this. In fact, uh, Tom, I loved what you shared this morning. And one of the things you said was you sort of started off your walk engaged. This is the thing. You're all in. And then it became sort of a pattern, sort of a habit, and not necessarily an intention, but now you're back to that place. And I love that. And so I think there are three major dangers that can happen within the church when it comes to corporate worship. And I want to address this, and this actually will be the backbone for the rest of our message after I answer a few questions. But there are three major dangers when it comes to corporate Sunday worship. Number one, it could wrongly lead us to believe that worship only happens on a certain day and in a certain place. Some of us, I'm afraid, have done this so long that we wrongly assume that we are coming into worship that we've just finished our time of worship with singing, now we're going to learn, and then we won't worship again really until next Sunday. The second major danger is that it might wrongly lead us to believe that worship is limited to singing or to playing an instrument. By the way, if you grew up in the church, we actually talked about the five acts of worship. How many of you grew up in a church where you talked about the five acts? Any of you? Oh, you're my people. Singing was one of the acts, but did you know giving was one of the acts? Learning Scripture is one of the acts of worship. This is our heritage. But some of us, I think, may be lulled into the false sense that worship is only what comes out of our mouth or what we can produce with an instrument. And we're going to look today that it is so much more. In fact, Scripture argues against this view. Let me give you a couple things here. First off, if you believe that worship is only on a certain day at a certain place or if it comes out of your mouth or is played by an instrument, we end up with a divided life where we see only part of life as sacred and the rest of life as secular. This part of my life is for God. This part of my life is for me. 
What I do on Sunday morning is for God. What I do the rest of the week is for me. Is it any wonder that many Christians live like heathens on Saturday and worship God on Sunday? Because we have a view that God is only met in this space. And so the first thing we need to address, and we're going to get into it in a moment, is simply that there is no secular sacred divide. All of life, if we are in Christ, all of life is to be for Christ. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 12. He says these for a, this word, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we're going to look at that in a moment, to offer your bodies, like everything about you, as a living sacrifice, meaning you're laying your life down daily, holy, set apart, Pleasing to God, meaning you make God smile with your life. This, he says, is your worship. It's true and proper worship. All of life. And then the second passage is Colossians 3.17, where Paul makes this incredible statement. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, meaning if you're doing it, talking about it, thinking it, whatever, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks To God the Father through Him, meaning tomorrow morning when you wake up, that can be an act of worship as much as sitting here and singing on Sunday morning. Now, the third danger is not just those two pieces, but the third danger is this one, is that we might forget the everyday power of worship. Worship is powerful. Do you understand that? We are messing with spiritual dynamite when we worship Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Let me explain. In the book of Revelation, there's this familiar, famous scene, the final battle of Armageddon. How many of you have heard of the battle of Armageddon? Anyone here? Usually if it's in a movie, Kirk Cameron is playing a role or something, and there's explosions, and you're kind of going, oh no, who's going to win? That's not at all how it's shown in Scripture. In chapter 19, when Jesus enters the field of battle against the devil and his followers, we see the believers of Christ coming alongside behind Jesus. But listen, if we're in a battle, if it's my job to fight, I would expect to see all following Jesus wearing armor. But instead, we are described as wearing white linen gowns. There is nothing intimidating about a white dress which tells us that the battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the way we enter into that with the Lord is not by saying, I'll fight for you, Jesus. I will win the victory for you. Rather, we come alongside and simply say, praise be to the God who's already won the war. So worship, friends, when you gather here or by yourself or with another brother or sister or a small group, you are messing with spiritual dynamite. Let us take it seriously. For this is to God, to God be the glory. Now, I'm not even done there. We're going to put a pin in it, come back to that in a moment. But I need to address four questions that have come up. These are good questions. Let me tell you a little bit about what both end may look like for us in the coming months and years. So, first question is simply this. This is what Sunday mornings will look like. First one is, well, what's happening? Diggs, I just showed up. I've been gone for three weeks. What is going on? All right, snapshot. Here is what's going on. We are becoming a both-and church, as I've said already. This means we will continue to offer and embrace excellent a cappella worship on Sundays because we believe a cappella worship is beautiful and many in our church appreciate and their souls are encouraged by a cappella praise. We will continue to do that. And we will have a Sunday morning instrumental worship service for people whose hearts are massaged by that. See, we want to bless the whole body, not just a part of the body. 
And so we will become a both-and church. Now, the next question, of course, is, well, when is this going to happen? When will we become a both-and church? Now, no concrete date has been set. Let me be very clear. The decision is made, but the date is not. The elders expect to begin sometime in the next six to eight months from now. So it's not next Tuesday, not next month, six to eight months, because there are some details that need to be worked out. We're going to have some special um, instrumental experiences, not on Sunday morning during that period, but so people can experience it and get a little bit of a flavor for it. And so six to eight months. Third question. Go ahead and put this up. What will the Sunday schedule be? After all, it's not just when are we starting, but what, what will all this kind of look like? Very simply, Sunday mornings, We'll have a worship service, a Bible class, and a worship service. We are calling this the sandwich model because the worships sandwich the Bible class. Now, there has been no decision on which service will be which. We don't know which one will be instrumental or which one will be a cappella. That's to be determined over the next few months. But the reason the elders are doing it this way, they are committed to providing equal access to adult classes, your children's youth group, and your children's Bible classes through the time. So no one is having to pick or choose what will they choose to do. So that's what the schedule will be. The timing of that, that will also be communicated as the elders figure out what the best time for those uh, services and Bible classes to be. Now, question number four. What's it just going to look like, Diggs? I mean, at the end of the day, what will the instrumental worship service be like? Now, I'm not addressing the a cappella service at this point. You all know what this looks like. And by the way, I kind of dig it. I hope you do too. But the question is not, what does this look like? The question is, what does the instrumental worship service look like? So, truthfully, uh, we don't have 100% certainty on how it'll look because we haven't done it yet. But it will most likely look like some of the other worship things we've done. It will probably look like our, uh, our coffee shops that we've done. I've got some pictures for you. It'll look like our Christmas Eve experience, for instance or our Christmas at Clear Creek experience that we had here with all the little biddies. Do you remember that? Now, we won't put them up here necessarily, but, but do you remember that? A- any of you remember that? Oh, wasn't that fun? And so we will have times like that, gatherings, worship. It'll be something like that because that's the talent. That's the body that we have that God has blessed us with. Now, while I cannot guarantee how all that will look, a few things that we do know, and let me give these to you very specifically and succinctly, We are sure of three things. Number one, the instrumental worship team, not the acapella. We're talking about instrumental stuff right now. The instrumental worship team, that's the singers and the musicians, will be on the platform together. Number two, Sean Alex is our worship leader. And by the way, any of you glad that he is leading our worship here at Clear Creek? Yeah. We love you. But just as he led this morning and was supported and helped with a praise team, he will continue to be the leader supported by the band and by those participating in the instrumental time. So he's the worship leader. Number three, and the most important point when it comes to it, like this service, like the a cappella worship, the instrumental one will be tasteful, expressive, and most importantly, focused on Jesus. If ever we gather and it is not about Jesus at the end of the day, then we may need to close these doors because he is the reason we gather. He is my only hope and he's your only hope. So these are the four questions. If you have others, we'd love to talk with you and try to give you more. But those have been the big ones that have come up. Now, we've talked a lot about specifics. Let's go to the next slide. 
The challenge, though, is not what does Sunday morning worship look like, but what does worship in general look like? If we've said there are three dangers to doing this, that we might get a warped or incomplete view of worship, what does true worship, the worship that Jesus defines as in spirit and in truth, what does that look like? Because this is at the core of the question. See, our series is not called music. Our series is called music and worship. Because whether with a voice or an instrument or both, it is possible to do this without ever worshiping. We must be a people who embrace worship. So what is worship? This has been a core issue in the church for centuries. In the 16th century, the Westminster Westminster Shorter Catechism asked this question, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is the purpose of life? And scouring the scriptures, this was the simple, succinct answer that was put up. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, we celebrate Him, we worship Him, we give Him praise, and we enjoy doing it. This means some of us need to inform our faces that today is a good day because Jesus is on the throne. We celebrate Him and we enjoy Him. But where we're going now is we enjoy Him not just on a few minutes on Sunday. But let me get into that. Luke chapter 10 is a familiar story. Jesus, if you have your Bibles, grab it. We're going to look at it, verse 11 through 19. Jesus is right now on his way from the northern part of Israel, from Galilee, down to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the hub of the Jewish world. That's where the temple was. The text says that Jesus was coming from Galilee, his hometown, where he did the majority of his ministry, and he's coming south to Jerusalem for the final chapter of his ministry before he will be executed for your sins and mine and raised on the third day to prove he is God. And it says that he comes down, but then he goes up. You say, how does that work? Well, he's coming south, but he's going up because Jerusalem is elevation-wise higher, so he goes up to Jerusalem. And on his way, he passes through Samaria. Samaria was, well, they were at war culturally, ethnically, uh, racially with the rest of the Jews. They were considered half-breeds, and there was a real dirty fight that took place between them. And what I love about this text is Jesus is about to have an encounter in this place that he chose to be. He didn't have to go through Samaria, but he chose to go through Samaria. And I love this. Jesus does not have to come to my mess or your mess, but he came to me, and he comes to you And so in this moment, just sort of a snapshot, when Jesus comes, Samaria is just this ball of tension, and he shows up, and he meets ten lepers. This is what happens in verse 12. It says, Jesus, as he, talking about Jesus, as he was going into a village, ten men who had, notice this, leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, we'll explain why in a moment, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus Master, by the way, notice that word master is uppercase. That's important. Have pity on us. Now, if you've grown up in church, chances are you already know what a leper is because you saw the flannel graph or you've talked about it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what leprosy is. It was actually a junk drawer term that described myriad different skin issues, some very mild, some very severe. I mean, if you had mold on clothing, they would even call that leprosy. But at its truest form, leprosy was not a skin issue. It was a neurological issue. It damaged your nerves to the point where you would get gnarled hands, appendages, and you would lose all feeling in your body and all sense of pain. Isn't that an interesting description for one who is dead in their sins? They've lost all feeling. They've lost all connection. 
And the consequences of this was you would do things and you wouldn't even know you had injured yourself. So you'd be out working in your field with a hoe or something and you come down and you chop off a few toes and you wouldn't even feel it. You wouldn't even know you'd injured yourself. There are stories of people going to bed at night who had leprosy and they go to bed with all ten fingers and all ten toes and a mouse or a rat would come in hungry and you'd wake up with fewer digits than when you went to bed. It was a horrific, horrific illness. And more than that, it wasn't just that you were sick or deformed, you were contagious. And so, by law, you were required, when you came into a city or around people, you had to call out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, leper, unclean. And not only that, you had to wear a bell around your neck like a piece of cattle. Because if you bump into someone, they get sick because of you, it's all bad news. Can you imagine the emotional and psychological damage this did to people? Not only are you separated, but what you have to say about yourself. This is the never-ending AA meeting wherever you go. Hi, I'm Josh, and I'm a leper. Hi, I'm Josh, and I'm untouchable. Hi, I'm Josh, and because of this thing on me, in me, around me, I have no relationships beyond other lepers. I can't go into the church. I can't go see my family. I can't be around people. This was a ghastly disease, and this was a divisive disease. And so these men, they are there, and can you imagine this moment? One of them sees Jesus and he's like, wait, do you guys see him? I think I know. Is that Jesus? Yeah, is that, the, is that that rabbi, that Galilean preacher who's been making waves and causing miracles and stuff? They're like, yeah, yeah. So they quickly, they huddle up, right? And they're like, okay, hey, I, I think it's him. No, it's not. Yes, it's really him. I think it's him. Well, what should we do? Well, we're supposed to say unclean, but maybe there's a chance. And so they, they formulate this plan real quickly and they call out in a loud voice. They say, Jesus Master. This is so important. They don't just say his name. They call him master. Now, this is important. In the original Greek, the M was not uppercased. But the translators are getting the flavor of what they're saying. They're not simply saying Jesus teacher in some honoring way. It's not like a title. They're making a claim of who he is. They're saying you are more than a man. Our needs are greater than any physician. But you are the great physician. Have Pity on us. Pity. Another word for this, if you want to jot down in your Bible, is the word mercy. Mercy is not being given what you deserve. It's when you did that thing and you deserved punishment. It's when, it's when I got pulled over and the cops said, just don't do it again. Thank you, Jesus, for mercy. <laughs> and because my parents would have killed me. Mercy. So they call out for mercy. And I love what Jesus does. He addresses them. In a beautiful way. In fact, look at this next verse. It says, when Jesus, when he, say these two words out loud with me, saw them. Here's what you need to know. Jesus sees you this morning, friend. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. And the truth is, we are such good, I am so good at looking good that you would never know if something's not right. But Jesus looks between the clothes, between the fixtures and the facade. He goes deep into the heart and he sees What's there? And he doesn't turn away. See, I see my ugliness at times, and it makes me kind of go, oh, why? And he says, I see it, and I'm here to fix it. He sees them, and notice what he says. Now, by the way, this is going to be wild. He says, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, can, can we just time out real fast here? That's a terrible idea. By law, they weren't supposed to be go hanging out with other people. Go see the priest. 
But I love this. They don't, they don't question him. They don't argue with him. Notice what they do instead. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they obeyed, they were healed. As they did what Jesus said to do, they experienced life. They were able to come back into community. They were able to see family, friends, because they were foolish enough to trust Jesus that he could do what he said he could do. They got what they desperately needed. Now, can you imagine, by the way, Jim, can you imagine being on that walk with those guys? What would it have been like to Dennis to be there along the road when all of a sudden as they're walking, boy, this is going to be weird. And one of them looks over and goes, you've got two ears. I do. And you, you've got a nose. Yes. And look, fingers, fingers, toes. Do you see my toes? I've got toes. And everyone's going, I can smell your toes. Yes, yes. And they're giving high fives, like real high fives, not like high threes or high twos. They're going high five, all five fingers. This is the gift of God. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Can you imagine that moment? But, but here's, the, here's the wild thing as they're doing this. They're celebrating, and they're so excited. They're beginning to say, hey, I think, I think our plan's going to work. What plan? Well, our plan is to go to the priests. We'll knock on the door. He'll come to the door. He'll say, yes, can I help you? We'll say, yes, we need a certificate so we can go worship in the temple. And he'll ask us, why? And we'll say, well, some people thought that we were lepers, but as you can see, we're not lepers. And he'll go, oh, of course, here, you've got one, you get one, you get one. He'll be like the Oprah of the temples. You get a car, you get a car. Okay, and so they're excited. They think it's going to work. Until the second guy, this, this one man, this one guy, this foreigner, this Samaritan, he's, he's not in the in crowd. He doesn't he wasn't brought up in the same way as some of these other men. In fact, he's about to do something that is wild and so uncomfortable culturally. What does he do? He has the second woe moment. Do you know what that means, the second woe? The first woe is where everyone begins to see their fingers and their toes growing back. They're like, whoa, yes. But he has the second woe where he's going, yeah, yeah. Whoa. He says, guys, you go on. I'm going back. They're like, you can't go back. You need a certificate. If you don't get one, you can't come into the presence of God in the temple. He says, don't you get it? I think we met him a minute ago. I don't need a piece of paper to allow me into the presence of God because the presence of God met me when I was broken and I'm going back to him. And these guys, their minds are blown. And notice what it says. One of them, when he saw he was healed, when he saw, see, Jesus sees you and then you see Jesus, don't you? When he sees that he was healed, he came back, praising God. And notice the words in a loud voice. Why? Because when you have been healed, when what was broken has been made whole, you don't come back like this. Thank you. That was nice. That was pretty good. Thank you. You come back saying, how could you have done this for me? When you get the goodness of God, it changes your posture. And you do not come back subdued. You come back astonished. And he was not just like everyone else. He was a Samaritan. And yet he comes back. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. This is an act of worship. By the way, in Scripture, there's a moment in the book of Revelation where John, seeing all these things, and he sees an angel, he tries to worship 
an angel. He bows down and the angel rebukes him, says, get up. I'm just like you, created by the creator. There's only one to worship. Yet this man falls at the feet of Jesus, thanking him. And amazingly enough, something happens. Now, I want to walk you through five key points real quickly as we finish up this morning when it comes to the essence of worship, and we see them all from this text. Number one, put this up very quickly. Number one, worship is our response to God's grace. Grace comes before worship. God's mercy, where he says, I will not condemn you, comes before my worship of God. Forgiveness will come, and we worship God for it. Worship is our response to God's grace. And the second part to that is that we give worship when we really get grace. When I know what he has done, when I say, wow, my prompt will be worship. Is it possible the reason I don't worship well is because I don't really get what I've been given? It's like, it's like when I think that maybe I was like 99% of the way to God, like I was almost all the way there on my own, and he just says, well, I'll tip you in the 1%. It's like, oh, thanks, God. That's good. I'm in now. But when I realized that I wasn't 99, I wasn't even at 1, and he comes down and he says, I got you, then my response is, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The second thing we see in this is not simply that that it's a response, but notice the object. It is Jesus. Worship is always about Jesus. Now, this is so important because for all of us, we often will wrongly think, well, I worship Jesus, but I'm not worshiping anything else. We are all hardwired for worship. Did you know that you will worship something? Period. If it's not Jesus, it will be something else, won't it? Okay, show of hands. Come on, come on. Let's wake up. Show of hands. How many of you watched the Super Bowl last weekend? How many of you have ever seen a sports game ever? Let's just put hands up here. Okay, okay look around. Look around. By, by the way, just out of curiosity, how many of you watched the Super Bowl just for the commercials? Anyone else? You're my people. Okay, so. Now, in the game, big moments. Someone catches the ball. Someone dodges a tackle. Someone makes it to the end zone. And what do we do if we are on their team? Yeah! Or yes! Or maybe we do a little happy dance depending on how devoted we are to that team. Maybe for some of us, we know the fight songs or the cheers and so we get into it a little bit more. What is that, church? Well, if you look at Scripture, at the descriptions of worship, it includes cheering God, raising hands, falling down. It's high-fiving. It's this celebration of the goodness of God. In other words, what you are witnessing on display are humans attempting to find something worth worshiping. And they chose a group of 20-somethings catching a weird-shaped ball. Worship is not something we choose. We all are worshiping. The question is, are we choosing to worship Jesus or something else? In fact, John Piper, I love what he says. He's a theologian. He says this. He says that missions exists because worship does not. Let me explain that. We believe it is important to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Amen? Yeah. We believe that's important. That's missions. Whether it's domestic, foreign, across the street, across the ocean, doesn't matter. Missions. In heaven, where everyone worships Jesus, are there missionaries in heaven going to other angels? Have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? No. Because they all worship Jesus perfectly. In other words, where there is worship of Jesus, you don't need 
missions, but on earth, because not everyone worships Jesus, we have missions. When you get this idea that we are all worshipers, simply longing to find the right object of worship, everything changes. Worship is about Jesus. Now, number three, let me give you this, our time's short. What worship happens, worship happens wherever and whenever we see the goodness of God. I love this in the text. This tells me that I don't have to wait for Sunday to celebrate Jesus. I don't have to wait for 9.30. I don't have to wait for 11 o'clock. I don't have to wait for Sean Alex to begin singing. Worship, according to this text, can happen anytime, any place. How do we know that? It happened on a dusty road in Samaria, not on a Sunday or a Saturday because Jesus was traveling And if it was Sabbath, he was not permitted to travel a great distance, which he was. This is great news. It means tomorrow morning when you're in the shower, you can worship Jesus. It means when you're in the car and you're going to work, maybe you're about to enter into a difficult work environment, but you remember God gave you the ability to work, the ability to produce, the ability to bless others, the ability to provide for your family, the ability to be generous with others. You go, yes, thank you for this gift. That worship can happen around the table at home when you hold the hands of the people God has put in your life. When God, even on Friday, when we were mourning the loss of our brother, to be able to celebrate the fact that he is with Christ. That worship can happen even at a graveside. Worship is something that we don't simply get to do on Sundays, but this text tells me it can happen any day of the week, and life changes dramatically. In fact, in fact, some of us were like, yeah, but what is there to worship? Okay, okay, let's just do this. This is all skate. Everyone can do what I'm about to ask you to do, so participate. Are you ready? Ready? Take a deep breath. Just slow, deep breath. And let it out. Even those of you who say, I'm not going to participate, you'll join us in a moment. <laughs> what did we just do? We enjoyed a gift of God. He put that, that air in your lungs and gave you life that your heart is beating at this very moment. You're not willing it to do so. He has willed it to do so. And because of his grace, we are here together. In other words, if you have nothing else to be able to say thank you for even the breath in your lungs. In fact, this is what we see in the next section here. Notice what Jesus says. I think it's so powerful. Jesus then asks this really weird question. He says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where, he asks, are the other nine? Now, this is a strange question. I want you to be students of the Word, so think with me. Why is this a strange question? Because Jesus told them to go do something else. So why is he now saying, well, where are they? Well, they're going to the priest, Jesus, as you told them to, right? So why is Jesus now saying, where are they? Has no one returned to give praise to God, by the way? If anyone asks, is Jesus claiming to be God? The answer is yes, he is. Has no one returned to praise God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So what's the issue of this question? See, Jesus, yes. Did, these, did he ask them to go to the priest? Yeah. Did they technically obey? Absolutely. So why does he ask the question, where are they? If you're asleep, this is the last couple moments. Stay with me because this is so important. Jesus is putting a test on the table. And he almost always does this in Scripture. See, it's one thing to be technically obedient, but you can still miss the point, can't you? See, see, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to do this. It's another thing to say, I'm going back to celebrate. 
It is one thing for these men to say, well, he told us to go, we're going to go. It's another thing to go back. Maybe, maybe I should put it this way. Number four, just put this up. This will maybe help. There's a difference between, keep going, just put them up, being amazed at the, what God has done for me and being amazed at the God who can do it. There's a difference between saying thank you for the gift and going thank you to the giver. See, these men could be thank you for the gift without ever having to go thank the giver, correct? There's a categorical difference that this one Samaritan got that there's one thing to say thank you for the gift. There's another thing to go thank the giver. My grandma, we used to call her Granny. How many of you guys have a Granny? Anyone else Granny? She loved that name. My mom hates the name Granny. We don't call her that because she'll kill me. She hates the name Granny because she thinks of the Beverly Hillbillies TV show. Okay, the people who laugh know what I'm talking about. We got to, okay. She's like, I'm not going to be called Granny. But my Granny, my Granny Granny, great gal. She stood about this tall. She had that great hairdo that you can only get if you go to the salon. And they put like, what is that, Darth Vader's helmet on your head for like 30 minutes. Sweet lady. But I loved it. I loved it when we grow up. My Granny, when we'd either go see her or she'd come see us. She almost always brought us gifts. And it's an amazing thing. When we were little, we would always thank her for the gift. You're like, oh, I love the gift. Oh, thank you, Granny, but thank you for the gift. Oh, I love my gift. I love my gift. Look at my gift. It's so fun. But it's an amazing thing that happened. At some point, you begin to stop focusing so much on the gift, and you say, thank you, giver. I'm just so glad you're here. You're so good. See, there is a difference between saying thank you for the gift and thank you, the giver. See, if you're simply thanking God or worshiping God for what he has done, there are going to be days because they're so painful that you will find nothing worthy of worshiping God. But if you worship him for his goodness, his bigness, his beauty, his, in- his inherent greatness, then you will never run out of things to worship him. This is why Paul and Silas, when arrested and beaten, thrown in prison at midnight, are singing songs of praise to God. What do you have to praise God for? He's God. Period. This is what you have the privilege of doing, not just on Sunday. Yes, here. Yes, here. Please do. But every day of the week. And number five, what does worship look like? Final thing. Jesus wants, and Jesus got the obedience of the nine, but he got the heart of the one. What is worship about? It's about God getting our heart. It's not just getting the music just right. And here's the thing. Sean Alex could pick the best selection of uh, traditional hymns and contemporary songs. We could have the mic set just right. The lights in such a way. The screen's bright enough that even old age, we can see it. And we could even maybe figure out the perfect temperature that most people would feel comfortable. Yes, I know some would still come in shawls and still come in shorts. But for most people, right? We, we could do all those things. But friends, those are just aids to worship. Christ wants your heart. It is possible to do everything obediently and never give God your heart. But if you give God your heart, he gets everything else in the process. So as we finish this morning, what I pray never happens is that we get confused. What's important? Is the music side important? Sure, and that's why we're talking about it. But it takes a backseat to the point that we are worshipers called to worship. And my prayer and my, my invitation is that this church will be the one and not the nine. That we get everything right in some way over here, but miss the heart of God. May we be people who, if we can celebrate a touchdown from a 20-something, that we can celebrate the goodness of God who saved our souls. His work in the city 
his work in this nation, his work around the world, and the promise that when time is over, the trumpet sounds and Christ descends, that the one who has won the game is Jesus, that we can celebrate that. May we always come back and be the one here at Clear Creek. So, what are we going to do now? Well, we're going to sing a song. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to pray first, so I'm going to ask you to stand. Grab a hand if you feel comfortable doing so. And may we be the one, not because we're great or good, but because He is. May we have the double woe this morning. Father God, in Jesus' name, we celebrate You for what You've done. Holy Spirit, for coming and living inside every man, woman, and child who has said yes to You in baptism. We thank You for life. Lord, had you not done anything for us, had you not saved us from sin, you would still be worthy of worship. For you are the creator of all. You are infinite. You are perfect. At but a vocal cord, the universe spun into existence. Jesus, according to your word in Colossians 1, it's because you are right now choosing it. We are here. That if you should stop speaking us into existence Colossians 1 tells us we would cease to exist, so our very being today is because of you. So we give you praise in all things, every day, on Sunday, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and rinse, repeat. May we give you all of our lives. Our hearts are yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.